0: Hey, what's going on, family? It is Elijah McCutcheon here with Scales of Justice. I want to thank you all for joining us again. I want to make sure that you take time out of your schedule to make sure you follow our official Instagram page at OtterbeinSJNA and keep up with us and see some clips and behind the scenes photos from some of these upcoming episodes. Um, and usually I'm here with an amazing co-partner named James, but James is not here today as I am with a very powerful influential and amazing student leader in Paige. Uh, Paige is leading the international student experience here and also helps with our office um, and some of the things that we do revolving our work with justice but more importantly you know Paige works with the WGSRC and um, serves there in the house and is a very strong advocate is that the correct term?
1: Correct yes. Yes
0: (laughs) Um, and which she'll tell about us later but Paige how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Elijah. How are you? I'm
0: good. I'm good. I'm good. So Paige, today we are going to get to know you a little bit better, um, but also get to see your viewpoint on the role that education plays in helping to fight um, inequality, and specifically um, with gender inequality. Um, I know this topic for me um, is very important and relative because... Um, I've taken a course with Dr. Corrado, who we'll have on the show later this season, um, and just learned about the different ways that it is impacting, you know, the future of the world that we want to see and want to create and how vital it is that we create spaces where everyone, regardless of your orientation, gender, religion, uh, race, or anything, are able to have access to those spaces. And so um, from my years of kind of getting to know you, I've seen you um You know, go in those places and those spaces and create a safe haven for people and and be a true advocate in ways. And so I guess today, the first thing I want to know is, like, what is your story? You know, like, how did you end up taking this more seriously? Like, was there a moment where you were like, okay, this is it. This is this is what I really want to do. This is what I'm going to be focused in, you know, because I know poli sci
1: major. Poli-sci minor, oh. sociology and women's gender sexuality studies double major.
0: Got you. So yeah, introduce yourself to the people.
1: Um. Yes. Hello. My name is Paige Scaff. Um. As I just said, I am a student here at Otterbein University. Um. I will be graduating this year. I have a double major in sociology and women's gender sexuality studies, and a double minor in political science and race and ethnic studies. So there's a lot, a lot of academic um realms to cover there um essentially i'm involved in most things um justice based on this campus uh i really spread myself across the different areas but most importantly um i focused a lot of my justice work on forms of bodily exploitation specifically Mm. in forms of sexual violence that's kind of like my specialty area that's also what i'm writing my thesis on so um A lot of research and activism in that space.
0: Wow, I did not know that. So you're working on a thesis? Yeah. That is so cool. I didn't know we could do that.
1: Yeah, so um, with the honors program at Otterbein, you can take one of two paths. You can do an undergraduate thesis. We're one of the few universities who still does that, which is super cool. Or you can do a distinction project, which is Kind of a thesis, but a much smaller project. It's on a much smaller scale. Wow,
0: that's really cool. Um, I did not know that we did that. So what is your thesis You know, focusing on?
1: Um, so my thesis is uh, an intersectional piece. Um, it's based mostly in a newer discipline called Critical Animal Studies. Mm. Um, but it also brings in some psychoanalysis, some sociology, of course, and some women's gender sexuality studies. Um, I the way I like to phrase it is I'm kind of interrogating the rhetoric of predation. Mm. So I'm looking at um kind of how the human takes on the role of predator and prey in sexual violence and the euphemismic language that we use when talking about um sex, sex organ, sexual activity as humans and how this kind of is perpetuating sexual violence.
0: Wow. That I did not know that at all. Well, that is some amazing work that you're doing, and it's very much needed. And I think it kind of leads into this uh, point of just understanding, you know, like, what does, um, what can you tell us about the WGSRC here at Otterbine and some of the work that you all are doing?
1: Um, So the WGSRC, we're also kind of now going by 150 West Main. Um, okay. Because that's the, uh, that's just the address of the house that we've yeah. gotten. So last year, we've moved out of the bottom of a dorm building into a house, which is just an amazing opportunity. Um, But we kind of focus in two areas. Um, We do peer counseling. So it's peer-to-peer counseling. All of our peer resources are trained. Um, And then we also have kind of our advocacy and crisis response group, which we usually call our peer advocates. Um, But peer advocates can also be peer resources. So When you have advocate status, it just means that you've been um, trained by the Sexual Assault Resource of Central Ohio called SARNCO, 40 hours of extensive crisis um, and trauma response training. Um, So we offer those services. Um, Many of our advocates also are doing something new with a grant we've won through the Department of Justice um, called Team Consent, which is a program for all incoming students. So first year's transfers and our international population. Um, kind of going over the basics of consent, not only in a sexual way, but also in a way approaching it from just, like, consent and trauma-informed practices um, that we can take on in everyday life as, uh, you know, as a form of transformative social justice.
0: Wow, that is amazing. And you talked um, briefly about advocacy, and um, as some of our listeners know, uh, that is a big part of what we want people to really get involved in and do is, like, no longer like in our episode where it's like it's more than a movie or it's more than a book, you know, no longer just sitting there and just having this knowledge, but advocating for the people who are often disenfranchised. so what does that look like for you um not only just in the w w g in one fifty west Maine um but what is that you know in everything that you may do?
1: um so I take on the idea of advocacy as being kind of vested and on the foundation of action that's kind of how I view advocacy so you have as you said all this educational the books the movies the podcasts, everything like that but that's all knowledge and advocacy is essentially knowledge in action um so I also I would view advocacy as well let's say productive advocacy as being intersectional and collective so you need to take everybody's perspective um no matter what the identity and kind of go from there um often how i would do it is looking at who might be on the lowest end of the social ladder um so maybe who is at the intersection of like all the most violent forms of um of oppression um also, kind of why I focus on like bodily exploitation in specific because that goes into a lot of you know autonomy and mm-hmm. that being quite a violent form, and then, um, collective, of course, uh, community. I don't think true and productive advocacy can necessarily be done by the individual. Mm. I would say that type of advocacy is more based in knowledge, ah, okay. not so much as in action. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that an individual, of course, can't make. Change, but the change that an individual can make is much stronger when they're in a collective community that all kind of share the same same goal and take the same action.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and in that, like, there's a kind of unity that comes with working together and making sure that happens. So, do you often sometimes? Um, And Paige, I know I'm going a little bit off script, but I'm just intrigued now. Uh, Do you oftentimes feel as though, um, feel maybe that you, you may be the only one working on it or the only one really trying to make these changes? Or have you felt that people are starting to join in more and helping with it?
1: Um. I think people are starting to join in more, uh, especially on campus. We're Mm -hmm. getting a bigger collective of people that are interested in doing type of advocacy work. I think that's also because we're just gaining more visibility on campus, like Mm -hmm. the different groups um, that I participate in. But there's always times, of course, that I feel uh, kind of like I'm doing things on my own or that I'm alone in my advocacy because some of the views that I take differ from my peers um and that is partially just based on background Mm -hmm. um in education we get a lot of people from all different realms of education we have a lot of art and a lot of psychology Mm -hmm. um I bring in they they rely on me for everything law-based is kind of um (laughs) how it goes and so a lot of times their opinions are clashing with mine because it's like yes you have these amazing ideas and this is what I want as an outcome too, but you have all of these logistical and legal barriers, and we can't just ignore those because right. that's not we're you're not going to get much um, traction there. You're just going to get a lot of resistance uh, from people higher up, and so it's really. I'm trying to encourage everybody to, you know, we have to manipulate kind of the power system. We have to know how it works, um, know who to go to, when to go to them, and how to approach them with the issue.
0: Wow, and 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 I, that leads into question number two. It's crazy because we've only really <laughs> answered one. Uh, but question number two is like, you know, how does education help with the progress um, of uh, gender equality or I'll just even go further, equity in a way too, um, and in that same way, does it also stall the progress um, in this understanding and this fight that you know you're in?
1: Um, so I'm gonna start with equality because mm-hmm. equity, though, <laughs> though it's a what I would aspire to have. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna take a lot longer mm-hmm. to get there than to get to a more equal place um i think yeah i think education can do both Mm. so of course we've already kind of established that activism and advocacy starts with knowledge yeah so education of course is going to be extremely vital in that situation whether it's a formal education like going into a college or a university or it's sitting down on your own picking up the book listening to the podcast Doing all those sorts of things. Um, But I also think that education is progressively becoming more of a barrier as well. Mm. Um, Especially when we look at it in terms of power dynamic. The amount of education that you have doesn't necessarily equate to... The position of power that you will obtain or the mm-hmm. financial situation that you will be in yeah and those are two major social statuses that can impact impact sorry the ability we have to advocate not only for ourselves but for others you know if you're not the decision maker yeah or if you cannot influence the decision maker despite the amount of education you have mm-hmm. there's going to be major resistance
0: yeah yeah wow and 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 I think that's true like I I found that to be true in some of the roles that I've also served in on campus is like if you can't have a have a way to get to the top and to have that you know influence then you'll see okay so this is apparently where the buck stops and it's no longer up to me And I I think that kind of answers the question, like, it it does stall it sometimes. Like, you sometimes feel as though, okay, where I'm working and where I'm going and all these things I'm advocating for, at some point, it unfortunately may hit a stop. But I think that's where more students like you and I come into the picture and our voices kind of carry more weight because we've made connections with certain people to make sure that we can get there.
1: Right. And I think even just having the status of student can mm. be detrimental to the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am working with our coordinated community response team, um, which is working in, it's the group that is initiating the grant on campus. Um, that's one through the office of violence against women and department of justice, um, mm-hmm. essentially just like quickly to kind of, um, understand, I guess what that grant is doing. It's, Goal is to reduce domestic violence sexual violence and stalking uh, mm-hmm. on campus um and there's only three like prominent student voices um, wow. on the like the core team mm-hmm. is what we call it. it's like the the group that did all of the writing yeah. of like strategic plans and things and um i was the main student voice there but mm. even having the background that i do the positions that i hold on campus Um, And the connections I even have with some of the people on the core team, I still got major resistance, Mm -hmm. you know, I keep going back to this word resistance, because it is, you know, something as you are an advocate that you'll face, you'll face a lot. And I just can't think of like a better word right now to to really put with it. But um, I think a lot of it comes from just being a student. Mm -hmm. It's like, You know, there are people, we have people from everywhere. We have people from our police department. We have people from our counseling center. We have um, just different faculty members that might be somewhat affiliated um, with the work we either do at 150 West Main or with um, other programs that are targeted to certain student demographics like Greek life and Mm -hmm. athletes. But I come in with this education um, and all of this extensive training that I've done that specifically is focusing on domestic violence, sexual violence, and stalking. And somehow, even though these people don't necessarily have that education, some of them, not all of them, I I love the group that I work with, but Mm -hmm. there's oftentimes, and people will do it unconsciously without even recognizing it, um, you know, that they'll kind of diminish the student perspective or say Mm -hmm. like, oh, you can't know that because, like, you're, you're not... You don't have the life experience yeah. um, type mindset. I'm like, okay, but I have the education. Mm-hmm. And if we're trying to help the students as well, I have this, a student experience. And, like, of course, you were all students at one point, but the student experience you had might be drastically different depending on your age and, of course, yeah. the university you went to as well. Then what I'm experiencing here, and I also have a connection with my peers to go out and get their opinions and bring their opinions and their thoughts back to you back to this table and say okay this is what our students are thinking is going to be more like most beneficial for us so why are we relying on this adult this faculty this like higher up level voice even though you're not the ones being affected by it like you are the crisis response some of it Mm -hmm. you are um you know somebody that people go to after something's already happened Mm -hmm. but a big part of it a big part of this grant is also looking at prevention Yeah. and you can't prevent things unless it's receptive to the students and so that's where you kind of need the student voice to come in And so again that's kind of a barrier that education does have it's like you know just because you have higher education a higher level of education whether that be a degree or just like what you're studying doesn't mean you necessarily know what's best or what or how to advocate for it yeah yeah
0: that is, per- I mean, perfect, perfectly explained. And it makes so much sense. And I think to the listener, I think that's something that needs to be heard because we have a wide range of listeners, you know, in higher ed and not, who need to kind of hear that kind of checkpoint um, or a chin check, as they say, where I grew up, um, <laughs> to kind of get that revelation or that understanding of like, okay, you say you want student voices and you say you want them in the room. But oftentimes that student whose voice is very much needed to understand the problem is often silenced or um, what is it? What is it? Downgraded in a way yes, to exactly. where to where it doesn't get the um, influence and the impact that it's really needing to make. Um, and so, man, that's so important because you can't even the playing field and you can't make the changes you really want to see. Um, unless everyone at the table has that um that same treatment, you know, right. that's needed. And I think it's just a general respect thing too <clears throat> when it comes to these conversations, it really get down to it. Um and so with that like what do you see as a as a hurdle that can and I know this is crazy cuz the way I worded this question, I was like, this is going to be kind of hard to answer because I said the word simply removed. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if there is one, but if you could, like in this imaginary world, you're like, hey, you know, what do you see as a hurdle that can simply be removed in the pursuit of gender e- gender equity? And I think the big point of this is, is there an easy answer? Oh. Well,
1: one, I... That's my fault. I haven't talked a whole lot about like the gender equity, no, like end of the conversation. More just like education in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess let me like kind of start there. Um, we obviously live in a world that's not equitable. It's yeah. it's not even equal. It's not. Um, <laughs> you know, on all different demographics. Um, obviously, a lot of the area that I work with um, is gender based because uh, things like domestic violence, sexual violence, and stalking are predominantly gender-based forms of violence. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, you know, then you bring in race and religion or and socioeconomic class and it, it just complicates it that just gender-based going. violence like so much more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you can see higher education while it's pro- it, it's progressing and you're having more female-identifying people come, come into higher education. Still, predominantly dominated by males, um, especially certain areas of study, certain disciplines, um, mostly STEM. Um, you see more women coming into the arts and psychology, so, so, like sociology, all of these more social-based sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I, I could get into like so much more discussion than yeah. we have time for on um, some of the barriers. Um, one of the main barriers, I will say, Um, that I guess is affiliated with the work that I do um, with 150 West Main, just in my own passion towards, like, bodily exploitation, is sexual violence on college campuses mostly affects women and effeminate males. Mm. And I use the term effeminate males just to – it's just more men, male-identifying people who have more – stereotypical feminine traits mm-hmm. that's all i mean by yeah, feminine yeah, yeah. and they're disproportionately uh affected by violence they have a higher level of vulnerability um, we also know from research that many women who do face sexual violence on campuses don't have great response from the universities mm-hmm without that great response of either managing their safety or properly taking care of the perpetrator many women will either transfer schools mm-hmm. or drop out of higher education in general yeah. and so that's something that i've worked a lot with is like in terms of gen- gender equality in schools is um you know we have these barriers of just vulnerability and safety that we don't necessarily take into consideration mm-hmm. um, when we look at higher education. It's like, oh, you know, maybe part of the the issue with gender equality, especially when it comes to financials after school. It's like, well, women are choosing these, like, roles, choices, you know, has mm-hmm. a lot of nuances um, to it as well. But um, you're also not looking at what's affecting people of different genders in once they're already in higher education. Yeah. And um, how, and so we have to focus on kind of like how to address those. And so if we're looking at barriers or like, is there a simple solution? Um, we're looking at like a utopic uh, mm. type universe. And um, that's especially something a lot of um, feminist writers, feminist does not mean women. There right. are men and women who are like
0: non-binary
1: trans people. I exactly. mean, you have, so many people who are writing feminist pieces right um and they're not all just focused on females right it's like we're looking at the feminist mindset in part there's so many different Mm -hmm. complexities to feminism but it's like gender equity is really what it's striving for exactly and um yeah i mean there's a whole it's it's a good book Mm -hmm. and it just has like i think it's like 150 utopias that like people have written and it's Mm. they're all different authors And it's like, okay, if you could have a feminist utopic world, what would it look like? And um, I don't remember if any of them actually focused on education or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. One of the biggest things that I feel um, would be beneficial in going towards gender gender, um, equality, maybe even more equity if we're really getting adventurous, Um, (laughs) you know, in terms of, like, what barrier we could remove, um, oh, it's, oh, like, a simple barrier. I'm even just trying to think of, like, what, <laughs> where could we start? Yeah. Um, I... W- in the United States. If we're looking at the United States <laughs> specifically, let's start yes, there. Yes, because, yes. like, culturally, the role of women in education or making money is extremely nuanced. So, Mm -hmm. like, if we're looking in the United States and we think of the United States as a more progressive place, which, like, also can be contested in (laughs) so many ways. But, um... The... I mean, I still think we have to fight the stigma Mm -hmm. of, like, women pursuing higher education, but also higher education in a realm that they feel passionate about. Um. So, like... If a woman really wants to go into STEM, mm-hmm. let's start there. You know, okay, so you have a woman who wants to go into STEM. Break the stigma down of her wanting to go into STEM. Don't assume her sexuality just because she is interested in things like engineering. Um, engineering's a big one. It's uh, A lot of women who go into engineering are generally viewed as lesbians. Um yeah. Because it's a male-dominated field. And for mm. some reason, if you want to be involved in a male-dominated field, we still have this perception of like, oh, that also is determinant of your sexuality. There, There's like, if you do studies, there's not a strong correlation be- be- between sexuality and like the, the career or the yeah. activities you're interested in. Um, and then if we try to take a, that's not a simple barrier either, like resocializing people, to think about gender, yeah, no, it's it's not easy. But once we are in these areas of education, yeah, I would say the next barrier we need to look at is, like, safety. And this goes on all sides of mm-hmm. um, the spectrum, you know, um, of gender. You wanna create a supported space for everybody. They should be, they should feel safe and supported, in their place of study, they should feel like they are getting equal treatment by the people teaching them, yeah. which resocializing an older generation is just like even more complicated. <laughs> so like we're re-socializing our generation some in the, in the generations below us. So we are all entering higher education with a little bit of a different mindset, but the people who are teaching us, the professors, don't necessarily hold those mindsets either, and so mm-hmm. you you see a lot of varied treatment based on gender in the workspace, yeah, in study space. Um, so that's kind of another layer to the barrier, <laughs> and then it's like once you kind of figure that out, it's going back to this like violence part. Like again, women in and, and feminine people um, are facing substantially more violence within their areas of school. So I mean, yeah even go back to, to middle school, high school, even lower elementary school, you have dress codes, right? Mm-hmm. Who are those dress codes Talk mostly like targeted right. to, yeah. right? It's it's to like, female bodies, mm-hmm. you know? It's like you can't wear skirts. Not saying a, a man can't wear a skirt, but like,
0: yeah, you I know. Can, I could have wore a muscle shirt in middle school, but someone who is not of my same gender could not. No. I could walk around the playground without a shirt on but someone who is not of my gender could not. It, you're, you're totally 100% true. Yeah, and true. so it's
1: like we're, we're starting the, the inequality we're seeing in education from a very young age, and even if it's, like, with these, like, little trivial things. Mm-hmm. And then once you hit puberty, oh, my gosh, there's, like, so much more complexity. Yeah. It's like even with menstruation, like, mm. you know how hard it is to sometimes be able to get out of a class? I mean, in, in college, you can just kind of get up and leave whenever with mm-hmm. most professors. But like asking to go to the bathroom and then like wanting to carry a bag with you or something it's like i i've watched it i've watched students like be called out in front of like wow. the the teachers have like called them out like oh you can't take a bag with you or like you know trying to sneak some type of like pad or tampon into your pocket and it's like there's all these areas of, of embarrassment mm-hmm. that like also go along with that and so it's like we're just constantly building on top of inequalities um that end up a lot of times resulting in higher violence toward certain, like, gender expressions. Yeah. And specifically the the, the feminine expressions of gender. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much. There's so much. And this has been such a great conversation, Paige. Such a great conversation. I'm going to leave with one more. Uh, what is something that 150 West Maine um, is doing to help with campus. Tony talked about the campus. Um, what is it? Response team. Yeah,
1: coordinated community. CCRT. That's, CCRT. A, that's, that's the easiest you,
0: way to do got it. Got you. Got you. Um, in helping. Um, so if someone's listening, they're like, "Oh my goodness, I want to join in and help with this, and I'm encouraged to start doing this." What is the first step that they can do? Not one, two, and three. Just the first the one. First
1: step contact suzanne ashworth mm-hmm. s ashworth a s <laughs> gosh a s h w o r t h at And she she can tell you how to get involved every, like anywhere you want to get involved with our advocates we do it is a little bit more of like a selective process because we have to make sure like you're actually committed to the work yeah, you want yeah, to be yeah, like yeah. trauma-informed things like we don't want just random people responding to a crisis situation because that's never going to be good exactly but um i know right now with team consent taking off we are looking for more facilitators and more male facilitators Mm -hmm. as well i think we have like one yeah (laughs) one like male identified person maybe maybe two um but that i mean that's a huge thing yeah i mean think about it like are you going to be more receptive potentially to your own gender getting up there and talking to you about Mm gender-based violence because you're i mean you have somebody from that standpoint i mean like male standpoints like you're typically looked at the perpetrator well Mm -hmm. then tell your story tell how you are not the perpetrator tell tell your people how they can make it a more inclusive and safe environment for people who are typically looked at as like victim survivors
0: right wow wow yes well, thank you, Paige, for joining the Scales of thank Justice today. Thank you for having today. me. You, this was really amazing. I hope our listeners were able to get something good out of this, because this was just great content. Um, Paige was a little nervous before getting <laughs> on, but Paige, when I tell you, you absolutely killed it today. It was just so great. So thank you. Thank you again um, for helping us continue this conversation.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I mean, they're important conversations to be had, and We need to be having them. Yes. Yes, we do.
0: Well, join us next time for Skills of Justice for Elijah and James. Maybe James will be back. Maybe James will not. Maybe I fired him from the show. You never know unless you come back for the next episode. All right. Have a good day. James just walked up to the window. He's not okay with what I just said. All right. Have a great day.